We appreciate you, and uh, we're glad that you're with us today. There are many stories that we could tell, tell about mothers and how they give so much to their children. In times of conflict and difficulty, they will do all that they can for their children. Years ago, during the French Revolution, the story of a mother who had gotten lost in the woods for three or four days. She had her two children with her. I can't imagine what it would have been like, lost in the woods, not having what you need to provide for yourself nor your children. But on the third day, she heard some soldiers approaching, and she did hide herself and her children in some bushes because she didn't know if they were enemy or friendly. But the sergeant noticed the movement, and so he examined the bushes. He looked deeper into them, and he saw the mother and child, children. So he had compassion upon them. I guess he wondered what it would be like if his wife with children were in that position. We'll never know for certain. But he had compassion, and so he gave them his loaf of bread that he had with him. The mother took the loaf of bread from him, probably eagerly, probably thankfully. But then she broke it in two and gave each half to her children. And the soldier that was with him noted that she kept none for herself. To which the sergeant replied, yes, she's hungry, but she cares about her children because she's a mother. That's a sobering story that happens in times of conflict, times when things are meager. Then there are some humorous ones. A little boy in Sunday school was on stage doing a presentation. His mother was seated on the front row to prompt him, to help him. She was probably beaming with pride that her son was there. And so he had a memory verse, but he couldn't for the life of him figure out what it was. He just drew a mental blank. And so finally she leaned forward and said, and whispered the word so that he would hear, I am the light of the world. And so the child smiled brightly and he had a great feeling about it. He just was proud as he could be to be up there. Said with a loud, clear voice, my mother is the light of the world. A good mother, a good Christian mother is the light of the world. She says a lot of light in the world. She says sheds a lot of light on her family as well. She could be considered to be the light of her family. If indeed, and others, if she lived by the light of Christ, there's probably nothing better to be known as, as a Christian mother. When mothers choose Christ over the world, Christ makes them the best that there is. And so today being Mother's Day, we want to honor our mothers. It should be more than just a one-time thing. It's a day, though, that's filled with mixed emotions for some our mothers have passed from this life, and it makes the day difficult. We lived with our mothers for 
all of our lives, but even though it was only for a portion of theirs, they had a great impact on us. But there are some scriptures that we can learn from and some thoughts that can give tribute to the mothers that we have, that have gone on before us. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, having just recently read in my study and reading through the Old Testament, we're told about the birth of Samuel, the last of the judges in Israel. He was born to a loving family. He, it starts out, there was a certain man of Ramath Zohim of the hill country of Ephraim, who was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Torah, son of Zuf, son of an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The other was Peniah. Peniah had no had children, but Hannah had none. And she was so depressed and dejected because of this that she just couldn't have children. And so, without going into all of that in great detail, at the in chapter one, she's praying. She makes a vow to God that if Lord, saying in chapter one, verse eleven. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Well, the judge Eli was there, and he noticed her speaking, but her lips weren't moving. He thought she was drunk, and he rebuked her, and she just explained to him that she was troubled and pouring out her heart to God. And uh, he, he blessed her then, said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. So she rises and goes, and she conceives Samuel, and he is born, and she remembered her promise. And so when he had grown up a little bit, she took him to Eli. She dedicated him to God and to God's service. He became a great prophet in Israel. Our mothers have a great impact. Whether they prayed for us from the very beginning of our days, or whether it's in our later years, the mothers have a great impact in our life. A Christian mother can instill the beginnings of faith in their children. In my series that I've been doing the last two Sundays, dealing with growing in faith, we've considered Abraham, we've considered Moses. I'm convinced that Moses, his faith journey started at the foot of his, at the lap of his mother, who told him about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he decided not to stay in Pharaoh's house, though as an infant he was placed in a basket and put into the Nile River. But he was... Coincidentally, anyway, God's hand was in it, and he was reared by his mother, and he knew God. Paul would tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice. I am persuaded now lives in you also. So Timothy had faith. Now there comes a time when you have to act on your own faith, but where do you get that faith at its beginning? You get it from your mother, your father, your 
parents, your grandparents, if you grow up in a Christian family. Sadly, not all of us did grow up in a Christian family. But fortunately, we learned of Christ and we became Christians. We obeyed the gospel. And then God added to us a great number of mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters in Christ, according to what Mark would say in his writing of his gospel in chapter 10. That we have left everything and followed him. In fact, let's just turn to Mark chapter 10. Jesus is telling them about, as he's had a rich young man ask him what he must do to inherit eternal life. He had wealth. And Jesus told him, sell all that you have and give to the poor. After saying he was not far from the kingdom, he was following the ways of God. But he was disheartened. He had many possessions. His disciples looked around and he said, he looked at them and said to his disciples, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? His disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible. Well, Peter, being as impetuous as he was, just reached out and jumped up and basically said, We've left everything and followed you. It's almost like he was asking for a compliment. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, and mothers, children and lands with, with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. It's telling us that you leave everything to follow me and I'll see that you have much more than what you left behind. God gives to us. Former President Abraham Lincoln he said, I remember my mother's prayers and they have always followed me. They have clung to, all, clung to me all my life. Think about that, how important of an impact it had on him. And so Paul, Solomon write in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8 saying, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Our mother's teaching, our, their prayers, they follow us and they bless us. John Wesley's mother made a promise to pray. She promised the Lord that when she would, for every hour she spent in entertainment, she would give to him in prayer and in the word. That's interesting, isn't it? Putting that into modern terms, if you watch an hour of TV, you need to offset that with an hour of prayer and Bible study. How many hours of TV do you watch? How many hours do you read and pray? I think we could all learn something from his mother. But she had to take care of the house and raise a lot of children. It's almost impossible. She had no time for entertainment or long hours in prayers. She worked in the gardens, milked a cow, schooled the children, managed the household herself. But in the midst of all that busyness, she decided that she would give the Lord two hours a day in prayer. It was a struggle for her to find a time and a place to get with God. 
a secret place where she would be alone with her thoughts and her prayers. She advised her her children that when they saw her with her apron over her head, that meant she was in prayer and could not be disturbed. She was devoted to her walk with Christ, prayed for her children, and knowledge in the Word no matter what or how hard life was. She prayed. Susanna Wesley was a woman her husband called the best of mothers. Wanting her children to come and to know and to love Christ, she would reserve a specific day and time each week to sit and discuss matters of things of God with her children, to pray for them. John asked one time his mother for a definition of sin, and she just told him, take this rule, whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes your takes off your relish of spiritual things, that is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. You see, there are good things and there are bad things out there. The bad things we recognize. It's those innocent things. There's nothing wrong with watching something on TV unless it takes us away from God and His Word and His prayer. And so John Wesley would later say, I learned more about Christianity from my mother, mother than from all the theologians in England. She knew the word and she taught him to the best of her ability. She loved him and she prayed for him and taught him. Also, a godly mother is going to teach her children the value of obedience. As Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. If children are to obey their parents, it's going to include their mother. It's going to be very important to them. Fathers sometimes discipline their children. But it may be that the mother is the more influential of the disciplinarians because they spend time with their children. It's not just wait till your father gets home. Mothers will take care of it right then and there. Now, when father hears about it, it may be just as bad. But nonetheless, mothers are influential because they're there to nurture. Not that fathers aren't, but they're also there to discipline. When I grew up, more mothers, as mine, stayed at home with the children. And I know that my mother did more disciplining than my father. My mother didn't wait for my dad to come home. She would take care of it then and there. I might get talked to and scolded by my father after the fact, but my mother did not wait. She took care of business right then. Another preacher wrote, My mom was left with four children when my dad died. We were 15, 10, 8, and 2. She didn't have it easy with us. Her main discipline was a strap, which could sting, although it did us a lot of good. And I'm from a generation where I felt that sting. It's also of a generation that was given a knife out of the drawer and said, go cut a green switch. Didn't like that. Those hurt. But you were told to do it, and so you better do it. I'd try to find one that was not so green that might break. Didn't work all the time. Bad choices. This man said... When my mother was disciplining me with that strap, I learned to cry quickly because crying seemed to make her stop. 
If we didn't eat something that she thought was good for us, we'd go without dessert. said, I ate it because I wanted dessert. She was teaching them. My mother taught me that when I went to somebody's house, I was to take a little bit of something, even though I didn't like it. Because that was the polite thing to do. I don't know that I see that much anymore. I see a lot of children that may not have learned those things. Now, granted, I'm not around a lot of little children because mine are grown. And I have grandchildren. But when my grandchildren are here, we make sure that they take that small amount just because it's a matter of politeness. So we're still teaching. A mother teaches her children to obey because she has learned the lesson of obedience. Obedience to her parents and to God. So Solomon, once again in Proverbs, in four different verses, in chapter 10 and verse 1, A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Maybe because mother's home with him so much. And it's going to impact her a lot. Not that it wouldn't the father. Proverbs 13 and verse 24, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. doesn't always have to be... The rod, it's just giving them the discipline. Time out. However you do it to make certain it does. But, you know, I'm still alive. And I have the green switch. Several times. Proverbs 22 and verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child. But the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Foolishness. Not doing the things that you're supposed to do. A godly mother teaches obedience. A godly mother will never stop being motherly, no matter how old they get. In 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel chapter 21, David subvenged the Gibeonites, my heading says in my Bible. There was a famine in the days of David for three years, and David sought the face of the Lord. And the Lord said, there is blood guilt on Saul in his house because he put Gibeonites to death. David inquires of the Gibeonites, what would you have us do because of this situation? What shall I do for you? How shall I make atonement, verse 3, that you may bless my heritage of the Lord? The Gibeonites said, it is not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house. Neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, what do you say that I shall do for you, the king? The man who consumed us and planned to destroy us so that we should have no place in all the territory of Israel, let seven of his sons be given to us so that we may hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. Now the king spared Meshibbeth, Saul's son, the Saul's son of Jonathan, because of the oath between the two of them. The king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, whom she bore to Saul and Armani and Mephibosheth, and five sons of Merab, the daughter of Saul, who she bore to Adriel, the son of Berilai, the Meholahite. Gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and she and he hanged them there. They hanged them there on the mountain before the Lord. Seven of them perished together. Verse ten, showing Rizpah's love. She took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest 
until rain fell upon the hev- from them on the heavens. She did not allow the birds of the air to come upon them by day or the beasts of the field by night. When David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, was doing, the concubine of Saul had done, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of the son of Jonathan from the men of Jabesh Gilead, who had stolen them, and he brought them up from there, dropping down to verse 13, brought them up from there, gathered the bones of those who were hanged, and buried them in the land of Benjamin in Zela. You know, that's a mother's love. Your sons were executed, and other sons were executed, but you felt motherly toward them as well, because who's there to defend them and to take care of them, protect their remains from the beasts of the field and birds of the air? So she kept them away, because she was a mother. Paul would write in Romans chapter 16 and verse 13, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me, too. So the Apostle Paul said that the mother of his friend Rufus had become like a mother to him. I don't know what happened to Saul's mother, Paul's mother. Maybe she died by the time of this time in his life. Maybe because he left the faith that she had questions about him. I don't know. No one knows. But Rufus became, his mother became a mother to him. She had no doubt concern for Paul and like his own mother would have had had she been there. She may have cooked meals for him, may have mended clothes for him, may have done things for him so that he knew that he was loved and cared for and cared about. Did you ever have a childhood friend who stayed at your home more than they did stay at their own home perhaps? And if so, did your mother mother them as she did you? And the answer is very likely yes. Or maybe it was you who stayed at a good friend's house. And his or her mother became a second mother to you. Because that happens as well. Because we identify with those who treat us kindly and those who truly care about us. So once a mother, always a mother. When a mother ceases to have children at home, she's still a mother. She still does motherly things, even if it's mothering other children. Again, Mark chapter 10. You left this, the things of this world with the kingdom of God. God's going to give you more mothers and more fathers, more brothers and sisters, more than you can count. A hundredfold more. Because that's what the kingdom of God is. It's the family of God. And we are his children. And so we have mothers. Someone said these insightful words about mothers or to them. Children are going to grow up so that they need to be taught to obey authority figures. They're going to have a hard time following rules. And have a hard time obeying their boss. The laws of the land. The government if you don't teach them. You see children are just learning. They have to learn where the boundaries are. They do it in our homes. They have to learn it in society as well. When they learn those boundaries at home, they learn them in society and they can make that transition. And then they'll be saying that the world is all against them and wondering why everyone in society doesn't wants them to obey rules and their elders. But if you instill those things in your children, they won't have those questions. You'll realize a parent... When you fail to instill those rules and laws into your child when they were little, you let them believe that they were equal or better than everyone. And I mean everyone. 
You let them believe they didn't need to obey anyone anymore. Mutual respect is not going to work on their teacher or their boss. They'll have to work and obey. It'll be hard on them because their mothers never taught them how to obey. But when mothers do those things, those children learn those things. So it's very easy for them to make that transition. So we thank God for mothers who cared enough, who loved enough to discipline children, to discipline us, to give us love and encouragement, to teach us to behave, to teach them about authority and respecting it in life. But more so to teach us the foundation of the faith so that we would have an easier time following God in our lives. Earlier in my lesson, I mentioned Abraham Lincoln's prayer of his mother, saying that I remember my mother's prayers, and they've always followed me. They've clung to me all my life. Prayers of our mothers affect us. They are with us forever. I read a story as I close about a little boy who was sitting on the front steps with his face in his hands. He was really sad and downcast. Maybe he'd been crying, so his father asked him what was wrong. And the little boy looked up and said, Well, Dad, just between us, I'm having a little trouble getting along with your wife today. I don't know what the little boy did, but he did it. Mothers are wonderful. Mothers, someone said, hold their children's hands for a short while but their hearts forever. So we pay tribute to our mothers. And we say, God bless you, mothers, with his blessings and blessings upon your family. This lesson hasn't been one to teach you the fundamentals of the faith. It's been one designed strictly to pay tribute and honor to whom honor is due, and that's all of our mothers. So we do thank you. But the invitation of Jesus is always open, whether your mother has taught you the foundations and fundamentals of the faith or not. We're ready to teach you those things if you have questions. We're ready to help you find the answer to those questions that you may have. You may have a need that you know and God knows. Maybe you have something you'd like to share as you come back to Christ or to live a life that's more committed to him. So the invitation is yours if you have a need to come to Jesus while we stand together and while we sing.